0: Welcome to this week's podcast from the Cooping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. John 4, verse 10 through 14. It's where we're gonna start this morning. And I had a funny, funny thought this morning. Um I'll be honest, I, I didn't have a message until this morning. <laughs> I never feel comfortable that way. Um, I came as I normally do last night, and all I could do was pray. The Lord didn't give me anything yet, and I studied and I studied to show myself approved, but I felt no comfort in what I I was trying to prepare. And so this morning I I got up and I came to the church and I said, Lord, what what am I gonna preach this morning? I'm good if you don't want me to preach. I'm happy to do that. And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, what's on tap? And I said, what? What does that even mean, Lord? Now, now I, I don't drink at all. And I have no desire to drink. And I have my very strong opinions about alcohol. And so I said, Lord, what in the world? And He said to me, He said, that's what everyone is asking of my church. What are you serving? What's on tap? They want something that's not just bottled and canned away. They want something fresh, and we have that. And that's the question we have to ask is, what's on tap? John chapter four, verse 10 through 14. Jesus replied to her, and this is where we've been for the last uh, five weeks, and this is where we'll finish up in this, this section today. John chapter four, verse 10. Jesus replied to her. If you knew the gift of God, who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him, He would have given you living water. She said to Him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it Himself and His sons and His cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Here's what's so incredible when the Lord asked me that question. I love words. How many of you like words? And like word studies? And I, I love looking into the deeper meaning. That word fountain comes from a root word that means tap. Isn't that fun? So, so let me read it in modern vernacular. And I will give him, but the water that I will give him will become in him a tap of water springing up to eternal life. You know, I've talked a lot about my, my upbringing in the Pentecostal church, and, and we had some wild services, if you will, but for the most part, I used to joke that the only difference between the church I grew up in and the Baptist church down the street was that we spoke in tongues. It was a fairly mild, kind of docile church. Very traditional in its, in its approach to, to, to church. And I remember I, I did not like children's church. It, it was very boring to me. But then I discovered that big church, that's what we called it, was also boring. And that an hour-long sermon seemed to take four or five hours and if you counted the us in every message, we'd hit about two or three hundred a sermon. And I had to sit there and I was bored and, and I didn't necessarily understand what was coming. But, but I, I did have a love for church. But I'll never forget in high school when I went to my very first charismatic meeting. Now, Toronto kind of ushered in this new move in the 90s laughing in the spirit and, uh, you know, Apostle Brent, New Zealand was having it in 92, 93 before Toronto ever happened. And, and I remember the very first time I walked into a church and there was holy laughter. I said, this isn't God. What in the world? Why are they rolling on the ground laughing? The presence of God is somber. You know, as Pentecostals, we cry a lot. And, and you know, um, there, there was no laughing you only laughed if the preacher made a funny joke, not because the Holy Ghost came upon you. And, and I, I remember watching this service take place and thinking, I don't want this. And I'll never forget, I, I don't even remember the guy's name, came down the aisle and put his hand on me. And immediately I was jolted with electricity and I started laughing. And in between each laugh, I was saying, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. (laughs) And I laid on the ground for a couple hours laughing, saying, no, (laughs) this isn't God. (laughs) Thinking, what in the world has happened? But then I became one of them. Now, I already spoke in tongues. That wasn't new for me. I mean, that was the crux of the Pentecostal church is that Acts chapter 2 was our mission statement. That that was it. And so, so I was used to that, but this was something new and I never understood in the beginning why all of this, but I was drawn to this because they had a life about them that was different. There was something different about these joyful people who had encountered a God that was not just somber and heavy all the time. That there was a joy to be found in the presence of the Lord. And and there was one day, I'll never forget, I was in my bedroom, and I was seeking the Lord about this, and He said this phrase to me, My joy is your strength, and in my presence is my joy. And I have lived by that statement, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and when I'm in his presence is the joy of the Lord. So, therefore, when I have the joy of the Lord, I'm made strong. Now, what does this have to do with anything? What's on tap? What are we serving to the world? We've been talking about accomplishing his will. We've talked about encounters at the well and how Jesus, you know, revealed to the woman at the well this. This reality of her heart and that that she became the first evangelist to go and get a city. To win a city for the Lord. So don't tell me there's no women preachers. I will argue all day with you over that. Because the, the very first ones at the tomb were women. Different subject. Moving on. But there was this encounter that I had and they had something I didn't. They had joy. They had a strength that I had not Experienced before. I loved the presence of God growing up. I, I was very enraptured by the fear of the Lord. Sometimes it was an unhealthy fear of the Lord because I was afraid he's going to smack me all the time. And you know, Pastor Hector said something so, so poignant for this time in this season in his offering message today that when we're sowing, we're sowing into generations and the tension that the believer must live in is that we are waiting for His return while living for generations. Because if we ever get out of balance in that, we will either forget that He's returning and that's where lawlessness comes in. Or we will only live for His return and not see people come to Him. And that is a dangerous thing, church. Because the question is, what's on tap? And so, the issue you see is most people want something more than they have. You don't have to tell people they're going to hell anymore. They're living in it. For some of them, they would rather die. Now, they don't understand the reality of an eternal hell, but when we really look at it, they don't need religion. They can find more self help books outside of the church that honestly are better than some of the ones in the church. They don't need that. What they need is power. Something that transforms. Something that renews. Something that when they take a drink of it, they're never thirsty again. They're never thirsty again. And the tragedy is going to a religious event called church where there's no power, no reality, and no dynamic. And right here, Jesus hits at this. She wants more, but misunderstands what is said in thinking Jesus was referring to natural water. Yet clearly, Jesus hits at the problem of having religion, but not having life. Jesus knew she had a religious experience. That's what the whole discussion was revolving around. She talked about her ancestor Jacob, and she goes on to say, "You know, our ancestors say we worship at this mountain, you say we worship in Jerusalem. People have had religious experience. And for most of them, it was a bad thing. But he also knew there was a vacancy in her heart. This vacancy she had tried to fulfill, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Five husbands and the man she was with wasn't even her husband. And so he hits it right to the core. You lack something. Your religious experience is empty, but I offer you something that is living and real that turns religion into a reality. See, I don't live religion. I live reality. The presence of God around our lives should be a reality. It should be a daily thing where we are experiencing the presence and the power of God so that when people look at our lives, they can draw from the tap that we carry. They can draw from that fountain of living water that gives them something to drink that they are never thirsty again. And the trouble with the American church is they've said to people find your own bucket when we are the ones that can serve up to them what we carry see we want people to come to our well the church and we think that that's where they're going to find it but Jesus went to their well Jesus spent time at their well. We cannot expect people to come to our well because all they know is that our well looks the same as theirs and our lives look the same as theirs. And so why do they want to come to our well? We need to go to their well and let them know, your bucket hasn't worked, but I've got a tap. I've got a fountain and I'm ready to serve what's on tap. I offer you something that's living. You see, that's what I saw. People with a reality. Now growing up, let let me make this clear because I have friends who I grew up in church with who watch sometimes. And so I want to make this clear. I knew people who had a reality. I knew people who who walked with God. Berdella Tucker's coming. That that woman, if anyone walks with God, it's Berdella Tucker. I mean, I'll be honest. I've been afraid of her sometimes and she's only like 5'1". And she'll be 80 years old. And she walks with God. She walks in an authority. So I knew people who walked with God. But as a large and as a whole, the church was dry. And so I walked into that charismatic meeting and and I experienced Experience the the charis of God that 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 exousia that power that demonstration Paul said I didn't come with eloquent words of speech and see unfortunately and and listen I preach for academia I am all about academia I'm all about studying to show yourself approved I'm all about uh, uh, authentic education but we cannot just be eloquent speech You can preach a good message all day long, but if there's not power undergirding that, if the river's not flowing, your academia is all for nothing. Paul says that. All my degrees, all the things that I have are for nothing in light of who Jesus is. And so when we're looking at this, I found this connection. Now, I'd experienced the presence of God, but I'm telling you, it was like I walked around with this intercession burden all the time. Oh, I just got to pray. Everything's, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's just so awful. And Jesus, just come back. But when I encountered the joy of the Lord, it brought me into that tension of living from two realities that He's returning and I live for generations. And in order to accomplish His will, I've got to live for generations in light of His return. See, the two are so commingled. And so Jesus is here with this woman at the well, and it, it's almost like He's playing with her head. I mean, he, I, doesn't Jesus do that to us, though? Doesn't the Lord almost ask us questions sometimes that you're like, I don't know what do the end. What's on tap? What do you mean? How do I even wrap my mind around that? That's what Jesus does is that He targets the areas of your heart. That's what he was doing with the woman at the well. I mean, we don't even have her name, y'all. And yet she changed the history of Samaria. See, God's raising up people, we'll never know their names, but they will change their city. See, because the only name that matters is the name of Jesus, it's the only name that matters. And He's raising up a people who are not about their brand and about their name and about their platform. I don't care what size a platform is. Some of you will never have a platform. Right? (laughs) There's a whole lot more responsibility that comes with a platform. But you'll change your city. You'll change your workplace. You'll change your family. See, I think in our Western thinking, we've so made it about the impact that we have in a public arena. But some of the most important things you'll do will be the people that you impact around you because you may not be the Samaritan woman, but you may be the one who talks to the Samaritan woman. And that Samaritan woman will go into a city and win a city because you had a conversation. So he's playing with her head. He's unsettling her. He's creating in her a hunger, gaining her attention, not by confronting sin, but by... Confronting hurt. We need to understand this, y'all. Listen, I I don't preach for sin. Okay, let me make that clear. But I think the church for too long has focused on people's symptoms of sin rather than getting to the heart of why they sin. We focus on the outward appearance of sin rather than targeting the heart of it. Jesus wasn't focused on the fact that she'd been married five times and was in adultery. He was focused on the fact that she had a vacancy in her heart. She was thirsty. She was thirsty for something that He could offer. See, the danger in our society, and I preach against sin. Let me make this so clear, y'all. I don't condone it, but I think the danger that we have in the church is that we cherry pick and we don't get to the heart of a person. There's a reason people go and have abortions. I don't condone abortion. There's a reason people struggle with alcoholism. I don't condone alcoholism. But there's a reason and there's a vacancy in their heart, and we have what's on tap. We have what they need. And yet we want to say, fix this and then you can drink. Go get your own bucket. Go do this, go do that, and then I'll give you something to drink. And Jesus in that moment says, daughter, drink. Come and drink. Would you please drink? I have what's on tap. And the Lord is saying to the church, what's on tap? What do you have that they need? Because you can fill the vacancy in their heart. But we're so focused on so many other things. He ignites in her a desire to know more. To want what He has. And that's the key to witnessing. See, I don't often start a conversation with, Do you know Jesus? Some people say, yeah, He's my gardener. I've had that response like 10 times. No joking. But it's conversations. Which eventually lead to what I do. I'm a pastor. We have a contemporary church. We move in signs and wonders. And I talk about it as though it's a normal thing. I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with someone. And I said, yeah, we we speak in tongues. She goes, that's really a thing? She says, I, I just thought that was in movies or something. Had had no like frame of reference for speaking in tongues. But then it became, tell me more. What, what is that all about? And I, I began to share my encounters with the Holy Spirit. And it led to this conversation where they weren't quite ready to jump in. They were taking sips. It was making them thirsty. That's our responsibility is to make the world realize how thirsty they are. And so that invitation to share more was created. It created a hunger. But see, it comes because I understand what's on tap. What's on tap is a dynamic spiritual experience that sees things happen. We all have a story. Every single one of us. And and we can't compare our stories. And we can't say one person's trauma is worse than the others. We can't look at each other and say, well, I've been through more stuff. Because regardless of what your story is, we all come from sin. And we've all had our sin issues. For me, there was abuse. There were things that happened that, gosh, I don't even want to talk about. But you know what? I knew I wanted more. I always had this hunger for God. And I would live on the stories that I'd listened to. See, when, when I was introduced to the charismatic world, it was like a whole new world opened up. All I knew was my denomination's history. but then I started to find out about people like Smith Wigglesworth, and John G. Lake, Mariah Woodworth Eder, and all these people. Now. I'd heard those names growing up, but they didn't seem very important. But I began to read the stories. And this hunger, this insatiable hunger was developed on the inside of me. And this religious background that I had, I began to want more. And my question wasn't what's on tap. but My question was, God, what do you have? Because in order for people to ask us, we have to ask Him. What more do you have for my life that I can serve to other people? So what is on tap? Living water. Permanent. Life-changing. Life-enhancing. Life-giving water. The Holy Spirit. There. Always there. Always refreshing. Always working. This is what we offer to those who we are in contact with if all they get from you is a bitter well, they ain't going to drink. If your life is just, well, everything's going wrong. Well, I want to drink from your well. My bucket feels a whole lot better than yours. But it's the basis of our witness. It's the distinctive from all other religions and religious experiences. For every other religion on the face of the planet, their God lives on the outside of them for us he chose to dwell inside of us and in light of that i want to talk about us for a moment i want to talk about the equipping center i don't know if i know pastor hector's mentioned it a few times but he and jimmy on mondays go and hand out food that's incredible pastor hector and he doesn't like being talked about but this man if if you don't really know him you need to get to know him And Pastor Susanna. But his heart is to see people to come and know Jesus. So he he drives two hours once a month. Is it once a month? To a rock quarry out in Round Rock to preach two hours. He's now become their pastor to a group of people who have no frame of reference for any of this. I could go around in the room, Mike and Karen, pouring into lives of girls who have come from rough backgrounds. Sharing the love of Jesus in a practical way. Jeannie and Owen with Project Unity in Southern Dairy having encounters. Amber and Shelly interacting with different people. Loving on people. I mean, I could go around the room. I mean, Barbara, I love... You know, she has has helped a man for 20 years. That's a commitment, y'all. To pour into the life of someone for 20 years. Believing for his healing. Believing for God to encounter him. That's what's happening here. I don't know what's happening in other churches. But I know what's happening here. And I'm telling you, what's happening is there's a movement being created. Is it their lives being changed? Their lives being restored? There are people coming back to God, and it's going to get better. And our charge, our commission, to win the lost and equip the saved, will not change, because that is the call of the believer—to win the lost, equip the saved—and our role that you and I have. With the river of God on the inside of us is to keep the move of the Spirit flowing. That's our responsibility, y'all. It's not just mine. It doesn't just rest on my shoulders. That's not biblical. The church did it together. It's only been in the last few hundred years that the sole responsibility of the church fell in the arms of the pastor. Before that, it was community. Before that, it was the church. Acts 2.46, they met together even daily and broke bread together. And yet in our world, we're like, oh, let me schedule it out a month and a half from now. And by then, that person's no longer even in the church. I mean, because we don't build connections. And so they come in and they like, well, I want to get to know people. And then they're like, well, I don't know anybody. I don't know why I go here. You know, a couple years ago, I did a kind of a survey, and I was grieved because I I hadn't done my part as a pastor. Did you know that in the eight years we've been pastors here, we've had 2,900 visitors? 2,900 visitors in eight years. We'll be here eight years in July. That's pathetic. Just being real. I I repented. It's seven years? We'll start our eighth year. That's even worse. I didn't bring it with me, but I had it all broken down that we averaged on a Sunday like 15 visitors if we broke it out. We have a church of 30. Why? Our, Our taps were closed. We focused on our encounter. And I'm telling you, that's over. I'm going to challenge us every single week, regardless of what I'm preaching, regardless of what series the Lord has me do next. You have a tap. You have a fountain. And it's your responsibility to open it up and let people drink. If you've got things in your fountain you need to deal with, deal with it puke them out, whatever you need to do. We'll pull them out, hoik them out. I won't beat them out, maybe. But see, I believe if we keep the move of the Spirit flowing in and around our lives, that's a doorway for people to walk in. What's it all about? Still in this phrase from Pastor Brent, bringing people into a dynamic encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the responsibility of the church, y'all. It's not to just roll on the floor. Well, listen, I became a literal holy roller. I've been told that I make charismatics look normal. And I'm okay with that. David said, I'll get even more undignified. I will stay fully clothed, I promise. And the church said, Thank you. But here's the deal. If my encounter doesn't bring someone else into an encounter, then what was it for? Just another badge on my church scout banner. We exist to win the lost and equip the saved. You want to accomplish his will for your life? Bring people to know him. That's the greatest purpose a believer can have is to bring people to know him. It's not to preach on a stage. It's not any of that. It's to bring people to know Him. The call, you see, is that church is not just about ourselves. It's not just to be a place of blessing for ourselves, but to be a dynamic community of believers impacting our community, our nation, and other nations of the world. When Jesus released power, it was to be witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and then to the other parts of the world. If you don't steward Jerusalem, you can't have the world. Simple as that. Luke 4.18. And this is your call. I want you to read this out loud with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim, release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Is that the end of it? Yeah. Okay. When Hector passes out bags of groceries, he may not be giving a salvation call at that moment, but he's releasing seeds seeds for the harvest. That's preaching to the poor, Not just words, but action. It's all part of our mission. What do we have to offer? What's on tap? Living water. changes lives and brings people into a dynamic encounter with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.